Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover, all for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5,000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5,000. Enjoy. We are joined in this hour by Patricia Miller. Patricia is author of Good Catholics, The Battle Over Abortion in the Catholic Church. Her work on the intersection of politics, sex, and religion has appeared in The Atlantic, Salon, The Nation, Huffington Post, Religion Dispatches, and Ms. Magazine. More than a pleasure to have Patricia with us. Good afternoon, happy Friday, and happy Friday the 13th, I guess I should say. How are you doing, Patricia? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me, Leslie. Um, you know, we were just talking about how uh, Vatican II, if you will, uh, and, and, and the Pope talking about, you know, this going on for another year, um, of trying to come to the realization that some of their parishioners live together, get divorced, might be homosexuals. Uh, but there, there still is a battle. And you talk about this in, in Good Catholics. Uh, you know, there's a battle over birth control, women in leadership, and abortion. And those seem to be three things they won't talk about, abortion being uh, the biggest uh, one uh, of all. This this has been a struggle for what, about five decades? Going on five decades, yes, it has been. So uh, tell us what Good Catholics is about, although we want people to go out and buy it, we, uh, you know, want, so that people understand a little bit about this and why you chose this issue and the issue of the battle over abortion. Because uh, obviously there are battles over birth control, uh, women leadership in the church, and in other areas uh, that Catholics partake of, if you will, in, in, modern day, in the modern day world. That's correct, and those are all important battles. The reason I chose the battle over abortion is because it's been so uniquely polarizing within the Catholic Church. Um, But what I was really surprised to find as I wrote the book is how much of that battle over abortion in the Catholic Church really spilled out into U.S. politics as a whole. When people think about the fight over abortion, they often think about the Christian right, the religious right, People don't realize that the anti-abortion movement was started by the Catholic bishops in this country, and that a lot of the -the behind-the-scenes maneuvering from the Hyde Amendment, which was the amendment passed in the 70s to limit Medicaid funding for abortion, to even a lot of the setup for the Hobby Lobby decision over contraceptive coverage that came down this year, actually came from the Catholic bishops and the Catholic Church, not from the Christian right. So I was really interested in how consequential this battle over abortion was, really for everybody, not just for Catholics, although my original interest was the effects in the Catholic Church, and looking at the women and men who had really successfully fought to create a Catholic pro-choice movement that really did become the way that Catholics could kind of fight back and say, we're going to vote for pro-choice politicians, we're going to you know, have abortions, we're going to use birth control. It really gave a voice to a lot of those Catholics. 
some people might say, look, you know, I'm a Catholic and I, I'm pro-choice or, you know, I'm glad that we have Roe v. Wade or maybe I'm not glad, but I don't want it overturned. But, oh, that, you know, people, when it gets into religion and especially Catholicism uh, and, and acceptance or tolerance for um, abortion, the choice to have abortion, what abortion literally and physically is. Um, I, I honestly don't think, and no offense to you in your book, uh, Patricia, and I'm not trying to be an ultimate pessimist here, but I just don't see it happening in our lifetime. Oh, I don't see it happening. I'm not seeing it's going to happen. Although, you know, Catholic support for abortion rights in terms of people voting for pro-choice politicians and for personally believing the choice should be with a woman is about 50% of Catholics are pro-choice. So it's not that the Catholics aren't pro-choice, obviously, but the church is not it is unlikely to change its teaching on birth control in our lifetimes, never mind abortion. Um, most Catholics just kind of work in this dual reality where, on one hand, they know what the church's teaching is, and on the other hand, they merrily ignore it and go along their own way, as most people know. Um, I think the most recent polling said something like way fewer than 20%, maybe 12% of Catholics think the bishops are the ultimate moral authority, even on issues like abortion. That's pretty stunning. It means that even though everybody knows what these teachings are, even if they agree with them personally, they get that a lot of other Catholics don't. Patricia, we're going to take a break. When we come back, let's also talk about how that message is given uh, by Catholics. I I can tell you my experience. We'll be back. Uh, Patricia Miller, author of Good Catholics, The Battle Over Abortion in the Catholic Church. Her website is patty-miller.com, P-A-T-T-I hyphen M-I-L-L-E-R.com back after this. And we're back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. She's Patricia Miller, author of Good Catholics, The Battle Over Abortion in the Catholic Church. Patricia, thank you for holding. Welcome back. My mom is Sicilian and Irish, and therefore you are Catholic. (laughs) My dad is Jewish. And when I was little, my parents really didn't have religion, but it was a big deal to my mother that I'd be baptized, you know, the baptism, the communion, the confirmation, and after that, do whatever you want, right? So in order to be um, have the first communion and confirmation, I had to go to catechism, which was on Wednesdays. I remember this. And it was before my confirmation because once confirmation came, I kind of was questioning too much and, you know, pretty much going to church and sitting in the back and hanging out with other teenagers and smoking. Terrible thing, but being honest, on the church steps when mommy was inside. And uh, if my mother's listening, I'm sorry, mom, this is true. And uh, I remember before my confirmation, which would have meant before 13 years of age, and I say that having a six-going-on-seven-year-old daughter, uh, seven-going-on-eight-year-old son, and I I say that just thinking about how close these ages can be. So prior to 13, maybe at 11 or 12, went to catechism like usual, and instead of going into our dark, dreary, terrible fluorescent lighting in the basement rooms, where you really want to fall asleep, it's so boring, and just keep looking at the clock, wishing and praying that it would end. We were all shuttled into this big room with a movie screen, and you get excited, you're going to see a movie. Until they showed the film, if you will, the silent scream. Now, I'm squeamish as it is. They could have showed a abortion of a mouse, and I would have puked. But um, this had affected me. But it didn't affect me or many women I know when it comes to abortion. I'm pro-choice. There are friends of mine that are Catholic that I know have had abortions. I've taken care of them after, and I've even held their hand when they went. And I I just, you know, the, the way that it is done and the, the harsh manner in which it is done, I, I don't like 
And I'm a parent, and, and I know I'm guilty of doing this to my kids sometimes, not the side of the screen, but using fear as a tactic. And that is heavily used in the Catholic Church and with many religions, but even more so in the Catholic Church with the issue of abortion, showing films like Silent Scream and uh, giving the impression that you're damned to, you know, hell, you're a murderer, this right. kind of thing, if you make this choice. Comment? Yeah. Well, you know, when I grew up in the Catholic Church in the 70s in New Jersey, no one talked about abortion. That's what has really kind of changed in the Catholic Church. It seems like that became a much bigger marker of whether or not you were a good Catholic. Your view was the same as the bishops, that abortion was the worst thing ever. That's not a tenet of the faith. It has really nothing to do with the faith of Catholicism. It is a political marker of people's Catholicism now that was kind of imposed by a very political set of bishops who were aligned first with Pope John Paul II and then with Pope Benedict, the two popes previous to the current pope. So that that really hardline attitude is what turned off so many people. I mean, it's probably turned off two generations of Catholics about the Catholic Church. So whatever they hope to gain with showing films like that, they have more than lost in the number of Catholics they've lost. There was a study out last year that was stunning. One out of ten Americans is now an ex-Catholic. You really don't want to have a business where you're losing one out of, you know, you're losing a third of your customers at this point. Um, you know, the current pope seems to have gotten the idea that those really harsh tactics are not working, but certainly the teaching and all the underpinnings of that stuff is not going to change. Uh, it, now, the it, do you think that it's almost like Catholics have a secret, or do you think they're more open, not only having the dialogue about abortion, but sharing what their opinions are uh, regarding abortion? I don't think, I've never found a Catholic to be shy about sharing their opinions about anything, never mind abortion. Um, and really, Catholics' opinions and the, the rate at which they have abortions isn't all that different than most Americans. It's a bit of a myth that Catholics are like way more conservative about abortion or about sex in general or about contraception. None of the polling about how people conduct their lives or their opinions really ever backs that up. Do you think that today in 2015, many people, even some Catholics, but definitely people who aren't Catholic, view Catholics and the Catholic Church as a uh, the Catholic Church of years gone by? I think that's really true. I mean, I think the media does sometimes. I'm always a little surprised. There was a big poll out last year about Catholic opinions worldwide, and one of the headlines was, majority of Catholics support birth control. Like, that was some kind of news. You know, the majority of Catholics have supported and used birth control. And obviously they're using them, because the day is of the 12, you know, the 12 kid McDonald's, O'Malley's, and, you know, O'Reilly's, if you will, aren't there anymore is long, long gone, and Catholics have about the same number of kids, except for recent um, immigrants into the country, recent Hispanic immigrants, Catholics have the same number of kids as everybody else, so clearly there's no magic secret other than birth control. But there is a bit of this image of Catholics as being a little different on these things than the reality would really suggest, and that, that kind of matters politically, especially like with the Affordable Care Act, there was such controversy over the free contraception requirement, and a lot of people complained, oh, well, that will be a huge insult to Catholics. Catholic institutions shouldn't have to provide free birth control because that's an affront to Catholics. 
Well, 98% of Catholic women have used birth control. So clearly that's not an affront to Catholics, but if politically people believe it is, that kind of does make a difference on you know, how policies get played out in the real world. You know, there are a lot of people that like, and I'm a liberal, democratic, uh, progressive, progressive feminist, and I do believe in this phrase, although a lot of people on the right attack it, which is a war on women. And with regard mm-hmm. to abortion and uh, Catholics, and specifically the Catholic Church more so with abortion, um, we, we know the history of protest, and you recount that dramatically uh, in uh, your book, Good Catholics, but, you know, you also talk about some of the untold history. Talk to me about persecution, because... Women have been persecuted by the Catholic Church, especially uh, with regard to this issue, for, for many, many decades. Women really have, and some of the women who've really taken it the hardest have been a lot of nuns. Um, a lot of nuns have been at the, really at the forefront of activism over having stronger women's voices in the Catholic Church. Um, and right now, several of the largest organizations of U.S. nuns are under um, scrutiny by the Vatican for speaking out. For instance, when they were having the fight over the Affordable Care Act, it was some nuns um, who came out and said, hey, the Affordable Care Act does not make abortion any more or less available than it currently is. When the Catholic bishops were trying to argue that the, that the Affordable Care Act would actually increase abortions and pay for more abortions. And for doing that, for being honest, and for kind of standing up to the bishops and saying no, um, they got put under basically receivership by the Vatican for speaking out because the Vatican doesn't see women as holding the same status as men. They don't think women should be, you know, in the public policy debates. None should be praying and taking care of the poor and helping the sick and leave the public policy debates to the bishops and the boys who have the right doctrine. So, you know, again and again you see these instances where feminist theologians speak out and they're run out of universities where religious sisters speak out and they're told to be quiet. Um, so I really wanted to tell the stories of those women because they're really the people who have in some ways made the church hold on to its more progressive tenets over time, even as the male leadership has become increasingly more conservative. Um, you know, also there was... Um you, you, there's so many things I wanted to ask you, and, and I want to put it in order, you know, in my head. When when people came, to, the pilgrims came to the United States, they were running away from the church and the king, in a sense, being in bed with each other and not having the freedom where religion is concerned. And even though it's not in our Constitution, it has been an accepted and standard practice in the United States, that, that practice of separation of uh, church and state. And um, you talk about that in your book as well, and that's something that I feel very passionately about and very uh, strongly about. Are you surprised that in 2015, that from Rome, we have a religious organization that's very political in nature, its own nation, if you will, within a, within a nation, the nation of Italy, um, that has continues to have so much influence in the political realm still in 2015 and here in the United States especially? Well, it is really shocking, especially someone who my family is um, Irish Catholic and German Catholic, and saw a tremendous amount of prejudice against Catholics in the first half of the 20th century because people were afraid of just that, that the Vatican would try to impose its values on Americans. 
and there was a lot of backlash against that. And Catholics spent years trying to tell people, oh, no, no, we want to be good Americans just like everybody else and be treated the same. And now that Catholics are so, you know, well accepted in society and nobody thinks of Catholic, anti-Catholic discrimination, now what the Vatican and the Catholic bishops are basically demanding is the right to impose their religious values, even on non-Catholics, as in the case where they want to be allowed to, say, have a hospital that employs 2,000 people of all different religions, yet they want an exemption to not have to provide them, you know, contraception, even if they're not Catholics. That's not religious freedom as it's been understood in this country that's the freedom to impose your religion on somebody else yeah that would be and and very different than contraception but it would be like if you work for somebody jewish or muslim and they're like sorry you can't have a blt you can't have it crazy we would you can't have and by the way and i was thinking about this if you know when people talk about sharia law you know um Mm -hmm. can you imagine seriously can you can you imagine mosques in in imposing this what we want to get away from, I think, here in the United States. And I think there is a push for this throughout most, at least, of the Western world, is that you can be an American and a Muslim and a Jew and a Protestant right. and a Catholic. And even the Bible addresses this back in the time of Christ. And the Bible says, I'm paraphrasing because I'm taking it out of context, but it does say, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Right. And, 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 of course, they mean regarding taxation at the time. Should, should we pay taxes, what the, the response was to. But also, if, you, if people read the Bible, especially the New Testament, you are not to not follow the laws of the land. You know what I mean? You know, that it, it, and I think a lot of people feel that it has to be a choice. Do I follow the laws of my religion, which many people feel is the law of God, at least, with regard to their religion, or do I follow the, land, the, the laws of the land? And there really is a place for both. For example, you can support a woman's right to choose, but not as a Catholic make that choice for yourself. You can support people uh, choosing uh, birth control, but if you want to adhere strictly uh, to the rules, regulations, and guidelines of your doctrine and your religion with Catholicism, not use birth control yourself, and the list goes on. Correct. And Mario Como, who just recently passed away, was probably one of the most eloquent thinkers about that. And what he said was, my religion requires me to believe certain things. You know, it requires me to believe in, in Jesus's, um, you know, his teachings and in the doctrines of the religion. But my religion says nothing about imposing those doctrines on other people if I'm a public official or if I'm voting for a public official. There's nothing in Catholicism that says if you're a congressperson, you have to make sure Catholic rules get written into the law. That's a really radical understanding that the Catholic bishops have really pushed for the past 30 years or so, that if you're a Catholic lawmaker, you need to try to ban abortion for everybody in the law. That's just not an understanding of what Catholicism is. That's a very political reading, really, of Catholicism. And quite frankly, all religions, including, you know, and I say Islam and Catholicism, there is no religion that I have found in the text, and I've read the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Quran, just using the big three, okay? Judaism, Islam, Christianity, um, that have any indication that we should be forcing our beliefs and our practices in others. Even in marriage, it talks about this in the Bible. You know, like, uh, you know, if a woman is a godly woman, she's not supposed to, you know, force her husband. It's actually by her actions that he'll come around, so to speak. 
Right. And for a long time, that was a lot of liberal, influential Catholic theologians argued that, that the Catholic Church has a right to kind of preach on these things and try to influence the culture, but has no right to try to put these things into the law, you know, as a, as a, you know, a written document in the law. That's just not anyone's religion. The big difference, though, I will note between Catholicism and those other religions you mentioned, which makes it so powerful, is it has this really structured hierarchy. You know, it has the Vatican and the Pope and the bishops underneath him very no other religion really has that one central authority um, and that really makes the catholic church kind of uniquely politically powerful it's also a very very sophisticated political force as someone said to me when i was doing interviews for the book the vatican has been doing this for two thousand years you know playing politics basically and political maneuvering and getting what it wants in the world and that's not to be that's not necessarily a bad thing it's just a powerful institution that knows how to play politics it's highly centralized and feels its point of view should be the point of view and that's just something people have to recognize about the you know the political power of the catholic church uh, there are people um that uh, in advocates um you know one of which is elizabeth farian's um that want equal rights for women within the church regarding your book and what you've written in the book what what is the response by catholics been to you and have you even had the church reach out the church no not the church but a very strong response from women who say you know thank you for telling me this information i really wanted to know about these women there's so many amazing women that people don't know about that we're really standing on the shoulders of. Um, Rosemary Ruther, who's another really well-known feminist theologian, wrote an article in the Saturday Evening Post in 1964. She was the first Catholic woman to go public with her use of birth control, and she wrote a little article in the Saturday Evening Post, of all places, why a Catholic, Catholic mother uses birth control. And it was a woman like that who really helped bring this conversation out into the open, I think, and made it possible for the preceding generations of women to just, for them, for birth control to be no big deal. Um, She's still, uh, Rosemary's still very active in Catholic theology. And like a lot of Catholic feminist theologians who came up in the 50s and 60s and 70s, she, um, a lot of them are just really disappointed that the Catholic Church hasn't been stronger on making women more let me tell you and i'm not a catholic and i haven't been my mother became born again christian and i went through all this different stuff but anyway i'm not a catholic practicing of any religion at this time but i do have to say that i've been to the vatican on two separate occasions and one of the things that really made me sick to my stomach and i share this with my crew all the time uh, one of which is catholic um is the wealth and when Mm -hmm. you just see the amount of gold artwork money that the vatican has they could fund those babies that they want people to have without using birth control. And I, if, if they wrote a check, then I could see some incentive for people following that doctrine. Uh, Patricia, thank you for joining us. Uh, good interview and definitely a great thank book you. people should get. It's entitled Good Catholics, The Battle Over Abortion in the Catholic Church. Patty's uh, book can be found on Amazon and everywhere else. The author of that book, Patricia Miller, her website is pattymiller.com, and that's with a hyphen, P-A-T-T-I hyphen Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R dot com. This is no ordinary sub shop. This is Firehouse Subs. Welcome to Firehouse. Tired of overpriced lunches that underdeliver on flavor? Head to Firehouse Subs, where for a limited time you can get a $4.99 choice sub. Choose from a medium smoked turkey, Virginia honey ham, or roast beef. They're custom-made hot subs at a price ready-made to make you smile. Just $4.99, only at Firehouse Subs. 
Enjoy more subs, save more lives. Participating locations plus tax limited time offer prices may vary for delivery. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.